Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints Many blessings to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, thank you for opening our eyes and um, helping us to see what's going on around us and what we can do about it. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to continue with Avoid the Vax Plague number two. And we're going to start off talking about, I'm going to do most of this. It's going to be escaping, walking by faith and not by sight, okay? Um, in part one, we spoke of how to recognize the symptoms of the vaccine. And now we will learn that uh, we have to ignore them by faith. <laughs> in the promises of God. We have to enter into the supernatural in order to deal with this. If we walk by sight, we will trust in men. And if we walk by faith, we will trust in God, no matter what we see, feel, or hear. Uh, to have faith, we need a clear conscience. If our heart condemns us not, we have bold faith towards God, and we receive from Him. First uh, John three eighteen through twenty three says, "My little children, let us not love in word, neither with the tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby shall we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him, because if our heart condemns us." God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Okay. But you're held accountable to what you know, right? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, right? So there's a line there, right? Uh, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. But, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God. This is what we're going to need where we're going. Okay. So if our conscience is clear, we have faith. And verse 22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So get on the highway of holiness that leads to Zion, right? Amen. But we i got to warn you, because I see it's a big problem out there, uh, beware of condemnation. One of the most important hindrances to faith, and one that trips up an odd people, is condemnation. Even old-timers in the Lord will let condemnation sneak up on them sometimes. The Scripture says, 1 John 3 and 21, uh, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God. 
And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So, uh, we this boldness towards God is destroyed by condemnation. And uh, we're not to look back, we're to look forward, we're to forget those things which are behind and press forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, we can have boldness for whatever we want from God if we feel that God is on our side. But without that boldness, we can't even obey God. It becomes a vicious cycle of condemnation, and because you feel condemned, you can't have faith, and because you don't have faith, you fall deeper and deeper into sin. And uh, the cycle just gets worse and worse until the Lord, in His mercy, begins to show us again, as He has probably shown us many times before, that we are saved by grace. He shows us that He overlooks our sin and that Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Well, how do we get in Christ Jesus? First of all, we get in Him by faith. We reckon that He took away our sins and He nailed them to that cross, and now we don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. Okay. So, what to do about it? Well, confess your sins according to 1 John 1, 7 through 9. It says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Okay, how do you get there? Well, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, listen, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You need that. That's the foundation right there. So this is necessary so that you are cleansed of unrighteousness and in good standing with God. Okay? That's when you can have faith. Okay? So what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 says, um, uh, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. So... um Faith is believing you have already received what you've hoped for. You believe you have what is not seen solely on the grounds that God says you have it. That's what faith is. It doesn't walk by sight. It walks by faith. You're believing you've received something. Uh, Mark eleven twenty four through 26 Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive. Okay, this the Greek word here means is received or have received. It's, it's in the received text too. Okay, the note in the received text says this. Believe you received or have received them and you shall have them. So that's faith. I mean, you're walking uh, contrary to what you see with your eyes. You're believing God. Now, he said this about all of our prayers. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for. This is a foundational verse here. Believing you have received regardless of what you see, feel, or hear. Second Corinthians 5 and 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
This ensures that only the people of faith, doesn't have anything to do with whether you say you're a Christian or not, only the people that have faith have insight and power into this realm. Okay. For we walk by faith and not by sight. The righteous will live by faith. Oh, that's where life comes from. Yes, the real life. Galatians 3.11, Now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by faith. Okay. So it's very important that you understand what faith is, and we're going to explore a little bit of that as we go on. But walking by faith and not by sight is the supernatural method that overrules the natural. You're looking at natural problems. You want to deal with them. This is how you do it. Uh, the supernatural overrules the natural. Here's a dream that was given to Ellie McBride, 53107. She says, I'm seeing something happening among the brethren who are partakers of the teachings of Unleavened Bread Ministries, which is demonstrated well by a dream I had on 8606. I dreamed that a group of us were in a classroom setting, and we were watching a blind man joyfully and confidently hit golf balls one after another. And after a little while, a woman cried out in great excitement, If a blind man can do it, so can I. Well, it's true. Anybody can do this. And it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. <clears throat> it has to do with obedience and faith in the Word. If a blind man can do it, so can I. And immediately after the woman's exclamation, the instructor beamed in on me persistently. I hesitantly said to her, If a blind man can do it, so can I. <laughs> so, the blind are the ones who can do it. Having our spiritual eyes open to the supernatural promises, we are blind to the natural failures, symptoms, curses, etc. We don't pay them any attention. We have authority over them. The instructor then began to write aggressively on a poster-sized pad. I was seated close enough to her that I could uh, read what she was writing, although I did not retain the memory of it upon awakening. So after she finished writing, she held the pad towards a man seated beside me so that he could read it over. And after he read it, he nodded in approval, and then she held it up for the others. And as she spoke, she pointed and tapped on the pad with the writing instrument. She very pointedly said, What's up is up, and what's down is down. Yes, Jesus talked about that which cometh from below and that which cometh from above. He came from above, and the Pharisees came from below, right? Then he scanned the faces of the listeners. And she appeared to be uh, annoyed as if to say that we were not getting it. She went back to the pad and again tapping on it adamantly and said, What's up is up and what's down is down. Again she scanned the room looking for someone to understand. And then I woke up. I understand this is referring to the word of God being heavenly and not of this world. 
which overcomes the laws of nature. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, our word says. Walking on water overcomes the natural law of gravity. Faith in the gospel overcomes the natural law of sin and death. The Bible says, if we by faith believe and accept the truth, which is that which are, we are, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, then the laws of nature no longer apply to us, and we are uh, able to do what would naturally be impossible. And actually, if you're in heavenly places, gravity doesn't make any difference, right? So, spiritually speaking, right? Ephesians 2 and 6 says, And he raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And also uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 48, um, As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. We are called to be sons of God not sons of men. We already are sons of men. We're called to be sons of God. I'm seeing that as many as are grasping this revelation as the woman in the dream, that they are gaining the confidence to step out in faith and are experiencing miracles. Amen. And these brethren are causing the rest of us to become bold as well resulting in that domino effect that David talked about once. I'm very excited at what I am seeing and by faith declare that I am very much looking forward to bringing the kingdom, as in heaven, so on earth. Amen. Well, demons can manipulate the physical realm. That's one reason you need to ignore it and begin to put your eyes on the supernatural Word of God. And uh, they can in that can include this manipulation, symptoms. Yep, they do it. People rebuke them all the time and watch them go. Okay? And this is illustrated very well in this dream I'm going to share with you here. We called it Fight as One Under Jesus. And this was given to Sandy Shaw, 8-5-15. This is a parable of the brethren learning to fight together against the enemy and finding out that they have total authority through the Word of God. I had a dream where I was an observer of a big battlefield with a war going on. It was so noisy that I couldn't hear anyone talk. People had to shout. I heard cannons and grenades going off and a lot of rapid gunfire. Flaming arrows were being shot, indicating that the fiery darts of the evil one, I believe, are uh, fired into our thought life and that we must quench it, as the word commands. And then I heard, man down, man down. Someone was shouting. One wounded in battle is what it's speaking about. I then looked to my left and saw a body on the ground. And running to the body from the right side was Greg. The name Greg means watchman. I then noticed it was a UBM brother who was down. And Greg put his hands on his chest 
and started praying in tongues and commanded him to get up. The brother started moaning and groaning and didn't open his eyes. Then I heard another voice saying, Get off of me. I said, Get off of me. Um, this is recognizing spiritual attacks and realizing that authority must be taken over the enemy, right? And I recognized that voice was another UBM brother. Greg then ran to him. He was holding his left leg. Greg put his hand on the injured leg and said, Get up, brother, you are healed. Amen. First Peter 2.24 By whose stripes you were, were healed. This is not something you have to accomplish. It's something you accept happened already. Okay. Then they both ran back over to the other brother who was still on the ground and laid hands on him and prayed in the Spirit. Well, praying in the Spirit is letting the Holy Spirit pray through you. If you don't believe in that, you need to read your Bible. Right? Matthew 18 and 19 says, Again I say unto you, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. And here we have to coming into agreement. That's powerful. Uh, more fiery arrows were trying to hit the brother on the ground because he was the target. Then Greg and the other brother commanded, off, 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 as they used their hands like shields to block the arrows. Amen. You can block the arrows from attacking a person. You have authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Ephesians 6 and 13 says, Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. You have to have that truth. You have to walk in heavenly places. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen. And then your heart will not condemn you, right? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, with all taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, of course, keeps attacks against your mind, right? And the sword of the Spirit is your offensive weapon that the enemy cannot stand before. It is the Word of God. Second Corinthians 10 and 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And by the way, that's the Word. Obey the Word. The Word says it. Doesn't matter if you see it. You believe it. You confess it. You will see it. Okay. The brother whose leg had been healed said to the brother still on the ground, Come on, open your eyes so you can see what God is doing. And he opened his eyes, and he got up. Yep. Well, a lot of people are going to get their eyes open and they're going to get up and walk in the Spirit and walk in the steps of Jesus. 
Anybody that says they abide in Him must walk as He walked. Right? We are to see Father has already given us the victory. That's what we're to see. They got their eyes opened, right? Second Peter 1 and 2. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power hath granted, past tense, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. It was given to you at the cross. Okay. Through the knowledge of Him, you must know what is yours so you can have faith in it, right? Through the knowledge of Him that called us by His own glory and virtue, whereby He hath granted, hath granted, hath granted unto us His precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature. See, do with Christ in the heavenlies, right? having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Okay, so we escape lust in this way too. And exercising the authority of our God-given divine nature over the enemies of our soul uh, and physical life. Amen. The two UBM brothers then said, Come on, let's get out of here. And Greg jumped up and shouted, no, we can't. We are in the midst of the storm. <laughs> Have you heard that? Uh, we can't run from the battle that God has ordained for us to come to uh, the end of ourselves and conquer the enemy, right? And uh, that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to turn and run. He's the one that's got to do the running, right? We have the victory, and we are victorious, Quote, unquote. He shouted with everything he had. Second Corinthians 2 and 14. But thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Do you know what triumph means? Well, triumph is uh, to celebrate the victory even before we see it. To those who have faith in his word. Okay, he always leadeth us in triumph in Christ and maketh manifest through us the savor of his knowledge in every place. Luke 10 and 19 says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. These are leagues of demons, by the way. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Amen. There was no shaking these guys. They knew that they knew that they knew. They needed each other working as one with their commander-in-chief. And then I woke up. Well, listening to the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the commander-in-chief, will put us in, put faith in our hearts, and we will be able to walk as He walked. Amen? Then very softly in the background, I heard a song. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. You might as well get behind me, Satan. You will not prevail, for Jesus never fails. <laughs> Amen. Psalm 91, 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, say it. 
Say it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Got that? So, you want to get delivered from the deadly pestilence? I know that this is a great text to know, understand, speak regularly. Verse 4, He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth is a shield and a buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. For the pestilence that walketh in darkness, oh, you need to know this. It's out there now, by the way, and you need to cast it down. You have It has no authority over you if you have a clear conscience. It has no authority over you. Nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side. Watch and see. This will happen. And ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. No plague can come nigh you. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked. Hmm. For thou, O Lord, art my refuge. Thou hast made the Most High thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. Wow, that tent is that temporary tabernacle you walk around in, right? Uh, For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Believe it, those angels are there as ministering spirits to do service for them that are heirs of salvation. Uh, Send your angels, right? And when you give commands in faith, guess what? They're the ones that are going to carry it out anyway. Verse 13, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent shalt thou trample underfoot. That's a dangerous thing to do in the natural. (laughs) Okay? Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. That word name means nature, character, and authority. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. By the way, that salvation thing is tremendously bigger than people give it credit for. We'll look at that too. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about God's vaccination. All right. So looking at Psalm 91, we see that there's a pretty good vaccination there. And I'd like to back up a few verses. Psalm 91, 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor by the arrow, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. You're not to be afraid. Fear is a dangerous thing to have when you're in a battle. You understand? Because um, fear is faith in reverse. 
Fear is faith in the devil. Fear is faith in the curse. You're not under the curse. Jesus became a curse. Some things you can't see, but you know they are dangerous. You may see the signs of them around you. And of course, the devil takes full advantage of that by coming against your mind. He wants to point out to you this danger. He, he knows whenever you look at something that you know is dangerous, he's ready to attack your mind. You see, he wants you to lose the battle before you even get started. And it goes on to say, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. So we're not to fear the dangers that we can see. Some of our biggest problems are the things that we see. But, of course, we also worry about things that we can't see. And it has addressed that. It walketh in darkness. The pestilence walketh in darkness. So you can't do that either because you're inviting trouble. Uh, if you see somebody around you start sneezing or coughing and the first thing the devil throws at you is, uh-oh, now you're going to catch it. Uh, well, folks, that's what people die of is the fear of the curse. Okay? And if you don't have the fear of the curse, you won't die of the curse. Uh, from which Jesus has delivered us. Exodus 12, Galatians 3 and 13. We have a Passover lamb that we have eaten, which is the word of God. 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ, our lamb, Jesus Christ, has already been sacrificed. Okay, your faith in that is what gives you your power today. It is the gospel. The Bible says in Psalm 103 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth some whole churches and congregations have forgotten his benefits because they're not pointed out. It's a sin of omission on the part of the preachers. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. Notice, you need faith. So you're for, you're, when you confess your sins, your iniquities are forgiven, right? Uh, who healeth all thy diseases. All thy diseases. We don't die of diseases, of plagues, of curses. No, we die of unbelief and fear. The devil takes us out many times with the warfare against our mind, and we lose our faith. Then we die because of fear, which is faith in the curse. Okay? We need to be, like Second Corinthians 10 and 5, casting down imaginations. It's not the imaginations uh, of the kingdom. It's the imaginations of the world that you have to cast down. We have a renewed imagination. We see Jesus in the mirror. He lives in us, right? That's a renewed imagination. And every high thing that's exalted against the knowledge of God, that's all a part of that other kingdom. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, what is the curse? 
And what is our Passover? Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68 is a fairly good summary of the curse, although much more is written throughout the Bible. Uh, here we see that uh, man's life, his body, his wife, his children, his property, his crops, his house, his country, his world, etc., are all under the curse because of sin. Ooh. Yep. And I've had people, even preachers, tell me, well, where, what is the curse? I thought the curse was done away with. I said, look around you, man. <laughs> you talk about the curse is done away with, you know? And all are under the curse because of sin. The curse is everything that ever happened contrary to man's well-being, including death, right? Because of sin. It's everything negative, everything contrary to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, when Adam sinned, he was driven from the Garden and into the curse. But Exodus 12 reveals a type and a shadow of our Passover deliverance. 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ. Well, the Passover uh, lamb had the wonderful benefit of delivering from every plague. In Exodus 12, the Israelites were commanded to sacrifice and eat the whole lamb. Verses 9 and 10. They were to eat its head, representing the mind of Christ, its inwards, representing the desires and the life of Christ, its legs representing the walk of Christ. You are partaking of Christ. Take of His Word, and you will walk in His steps. Jesus said, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have not life in yourselves. We need a blood transfusion. That which we got from our parents is our whole problem. John 6 and 6, 53, which means, of course, that we are partaking of the life of the flesh, which is in the blood, Leviticus seventeen eleven, Jesus was the bread of God, which comes down out of heaven, gives life to the world, John 6 and 33. He was also the Word made flesh, John 1 and 14. His flesh represented the Word of God, and His blood represented the life in that Word, Leviticus 17.11, as I've mentioned. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement by reason of the life. So the blood of Jesus made atonement. It's a covering, right? Uh, and so... When we eat the lamb, we are partaking of his word and life. Okay? And when we study this word and it goes into our hearts, when we repent and believe it and we stand upon it, we are consuming the lamb. He was the word made flesh, and that in turn gives us our Passover. To this, the New Testament fully agrees. Galatians 3 and 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 
that upon the Gentiles might come the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus. We want the blessing of Abraham. He redeemed us, which means bought and taken from the curse of the law. Okay? Jesus bore the whole curse for us. Everything out there that you see is, like I said, Deuteronomy 28 is a good example of this. Uh, it's not all, everything. I mean, that's what the word is for. You grow in your wisdom and you put up your shield of faith, right? We need to cooperate with him so that we can manifest what was given us at the cross. The one thing you should know, and most important thing that you should know and understand, uh, Paul said in Romans 1 and 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, meaning the good news. It's really good news. Most people don't know what it is because they're just not reading the Word nor believing exactly what they read. For it is the power of God. The good news is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. By the way, salvation is soteria, and it means deliverance from the curse in all methods, in all ways. It's not just the salvation of your soul. It's the salvation of your circumstances. It's the salvation of your physical life, etc., etc. In fact, that word is used in the Bible to mean just that. They're just not pointing it out to you. So, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Folks, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus did it all at the cross. So, why do so many of God's people not have any power? It's because they do not understand the good news. The good news is a powerful revelation. And when we exercise faith in it, God imparts His power to us to save us in all things. Notice the gospel, quote, is the power of God unto salvation, unquote. The word salvation in the New Testament is generally the Greek noun soteria, as I pointed out, and the verb of this is sozo, saved. Uh, it actually has a wonderful meaning of deliverance, salvation, preservation, healing, and provision. Amen. It covers it all. Everything you need was done at the cross. God has already provided our every need according to Scripture. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Why will He supply this? Well, He supplies it when you look back at the cross and you believe it all happened there and it was given to you there and you were made a son of God there, not just a son of man. Many people limit salvation to such a very narrow band of revelation, but salvation is very, very big. And this word soteria, which is generally translated as salvation, is very broad. And uh, as we study that, we see that the good news, the gospel, provides us everything we need. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And this is that broad term. We once asked a local man who was Greek uh, what soteria meant to him, and he said, it means all of my needs supplied like a little baby. 
<laughs> so I've never forgotten that. And as I researched the scriptures, I found out that's exactly what it means. All of our needs supplied. But it's all of our needs supplied to the believers. That's why you need to read the Word more than you need to do a lot of things that you do. All right. This this is eternal life. Uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Not necessarily to what we loosely call Christians, but to the believers. Amen. Jesus called them disciples, right? You cannot be my disciple. He didn't use the term Christians. The lost people who looked at the people of God who walked in his steps, they called Christians. Not the people today who do not walk in his steps. So in the New Testament, the people who walk by faith are the ones who are justified because counted righteous means justified. Or the other way around. Justified means counted righteous, right? Romans 1 and 17. For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith to faith. That's the way we need to go, from faith to faith. Don't step on anything in between. (laughs) As it is written, but the righteous shall live from faith. Do you want to live? You must have faith. That's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, right? The literal translation there is from faith and not by faith. God puts a high premium on people who believe and act upon his word. James 2 and 17 says, Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. When you have faith that you believe something that you don't see, but it's in the word of God, act on it. Okay? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. Yea, a man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works, and I, by my works, will show thee my faith. If a person has faith, they act it out. They walk out on it. People who act on what the Word says will see results. They will receive power from God. Hebrews 10.38 But my righteous one shall live from faith. And if he shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You can fall back into all your natural reasoning, your natural sight, your natural feelings, your natural teaching from the dead church you went to, all this natural stuff. But you're not walking in the supernatural heaven. 39. But we are not of them that shrink back into or unto perdition. Perdition means destruction. And everyone who shrinks back from the walk of faith will ultimately be destroyed by the curse. Hmm. Hebrews 11.1 Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Okay, so you believe in the things that you don't see. Some translations say faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we give God the substance, which is the faith. 
which is believing something that is not seen. Jesus taught us this in uh, Mark 11 and 24. I may point this out a few times to you because it's very foundational. Therefore, I say unto you, all things, listen to me, stop praying contrary to God. He says, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them. I'm using the the uh, Greek there. And you shall have them. Wow. Some people say this is too good to be true. But that's because they walk in the natural. They're not walking in the spiritual. They're not calling the things that be not as though they were. They're not being uh, obedient to walk in the steps of Jesus. Health and healing are part of all things here, of course, right? Because he says all things. What does all leave out? Nothing. All of your prayers should be done like this. You'll walk in the spirit realm if you do this. Therefore, we must believe we have already received healing or health, which is what the Bible says. For instance, in 1 Peter 2 and 24, who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You were healed. Do you believe it? Some people say, oh, that's just spiritual healing. You're adding to the Word of God, and you're taking away from the Word of God, both of which put you under the curse in the last four verses in the book of Revelation. You cannot add to the Word of God. It means what it says, and it says what it means. By whose stripes you were healed. Body, soul, spirit, circumstances. Okay. So, we see in this verse God's vaccine. He gave it to you 2,000 years ago. He's not going to take it back. You can give it up by not walking by faith, but He won't take it back. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto Him. So you must walk in the spirit realm. You can't walk as men. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that seek after him. Also Jesus said in Matthew 9 and 29, According to your faith be it done unto you. Oh, so what you get is what you believe for. And Matthew 8 and 13, As thou hast believed, so shall it be done unto thee. Oh, gosh. So, this belief we're talking about, uh, believing by faith you have something that you do not see, okay, is what we're talking about. He constantly made faith the requirement. So, we, like God, learn to Romans 4 and 17, calleth the things that are not as though they were. That's past tense. It's done. It's done. Meaning our healing is past tense and everything else that we pray for is already there. And our faith has the power to create all of our needs. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. That's why you can automatically just walk up and receive the kingdom. 
because you were saved at the cross. As, as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You enter into Christ through your faith, believing He took away your sins and He healed your body too. Some versions say, are you saved? But the numeric pattern in the Nestle-Aland text, which is comprised of the three ancient manuscripts, say, have you been saved? Yes, because it didn't happen here. It happened at the cross. You're just entering into it here, right? Salvation was accomplished at the cross. All of your salvation. And the word saved here is, again, the word sozo. And it's the verb of the noun, soteria, which covers everything. It covers all of your needs supplied, just like a little baby. And all of your needs were supplied at the cross. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works that no man should glory. Notice, faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Ask God for this gift. If you're having struggles uh, uh, overcoming some problem that you see in the physical Ask God for this gift. All right. It's by grace. And there it is. Man's works are not going to be preserved through this time. Uh, your works will ultimately fail you. You must turn to God's works. Right? Not of works that no man should glory. Whose works is it? <laughs> In Christ Jesus were you created for good works. All right? Mark 11 and 24. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them. Well, here it is again. By grace have you been saved. Hmm. Have you been saved? Notice what he's saying. Believe that you have received them. It's past tense. The numeric pattern proves that it's past tense, and both the Nestle Aland and the Textus Receptus say that the Greek word is received or have received. None. Well, uh, you are supposed to believe you have received in the physical realm. You're not waiting for the manifestation. You are receiving it, right? You receive it by faith, and it will come. That's what Jesus said. So this rails against our natural reasoning. And this is because we are called to be sons of God and not just sons of men. right? So we have to cast down fleshly thoughts. Again, 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, casting down imaginations. Uh, this is worldly imaginations because what you're seeing is transitory. Everything physical out there is transitory. What is eternal? What is real? It's the spirit realm. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God. We're pointing out to you some of the knowledge of God. It's clearly saying what I'm saying. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we cast down these vain imaginations. 
we begin to speak in agreement with the fact that we have received. We act as if we have received. We imagine we have received. That's a renewed imagination, right? So we cast down the old man's imaginations and we pick up the new man's imaginations, right? If we believe that we were healed, then how are we going to react to the bad news that we hear and we see all around us? That's why you don't need to study the bad news so much. You better study the good news and, and act on it. Galatians 3 and 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We've been bought and taken. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is everything that happened contrary to man's well-being because he was in rebellion against God's law, just as we read in Deuteronomy 28. And Galatians 3 and 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Go and read Deuteronomy 28 and find out what you were delivered from. And the blessings were written there too. That's yours if you escape the curse of the law through faith, right? The blessings that are written there. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Notice once again, we have already been delivered from the curse. Some people think this is something that you must attain to. It was not put uh, because it was put upon Jesus. It was not put upon us. It was put upon Jesus. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that upon the Gentiles might come the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise be to God. The blessings of Abraham. And Abraham, the Bible says, was blessed in all things, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, we believe that Jesus bore the curse so that we can have the blessing. Glory be to God. Don't let the devil keep hammering you down, condemning you for your past and all these things. Don't. You're not being a believer. Second Peter 1 and 3. Seeing that His divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him that called us by His own glory and virtue. Wow. He's already granted. It's already granted. Notice. Everything that pertains to life, that's God's life. That's not your old life. That's God's life. And it says godliness too. So this knowledge tells us that we've already been given His life, which is Zoe, meaning God's life. You have to know this knowledge to have God's life. How do you know what to exercise faith in without knowledge? Why don't you read the Word and find out what is yours? You must know what has been given to you so that you know how to exercise faith. It's so that you can know how to believe God. Can you practice seeing that God has already given to you everything you need? Jesus said when he was on the cross, John 19 and 30, It is finished. 
Glory be to God. It is finished. He conquered everything. He provided for all of our needs. And now you need to know why Paul said, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? Because that's how you enter into it. He has already provided it. Jesus gave true believers authority over the devil and the curse. We must resist the devil and tell him no. James 4 and 7 says, Be subject therefore unto God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You having trouble from the devil? Submit to God. Resist him. Tell him no. You've been given authority over all the power of the enemy. Tell him no. So let's look at what Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out just before they were about to go solo <laughs> because he was about to go home. Praise God. Matthew 28 and 18. And Jesus came to them and spake unto them, saying, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Then what did he do? He turned and delegated that authority. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name, that's the nature, character, and authority, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name, in the nature, character, and authority. That's why that word is used there teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Look at this. And, lo, I'm with you all ways, even unto the end of the world. Notice. Teach them to observe everything I commanded you. Obviously, Jesus wasn't telling those particular disciples that he was going to be with them that long. They didn't want to stay on the earth that long. He didn't want them to stay on the earth that long. He was talking about all disciples who go forth at his bidding, who teach others to observe all things that he told the first disciples. You see, we're just replicas of the first disciples. Everything Jesus said to them, you've got. Oh, he just said that to the apostles. That's what they say. Oh, that passed away because the apostles passed away. No, you ignorant person, you need to go and read the Word of God. Everything they taught their disciples, their disciples were to turn and teach the other disciples. All the way up until today. But men got in there. Men's Bible schools are the biggest culprit, just like they were in Jesus' day. The word observe in this text means to hold fast to or to keep. We haven't done that, have we? Over the last 2,000 years, we have slid about as far as we can slide away from what was written in the Gospels, the book of Acts, and the rest of the New Testament. Yet now, the Lord is bringing His people back to a time when His benefits are going to be known on the earth. And miraculously and powerfully, but we need to hold fast to the commands that he gave to the first disciples. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was giving all diligence to write unto you of our common salvation, common salvation, it's for all of God's people, 
I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to, listen, contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. You are supposed to have that first faith, the faith that they had, the faith that Jesus had, the faith his disciples had. That's the faith you're supposed to have. Forget these dead religions. So we need to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Oh, my. One of those things that he commanded his first disciples, which was passed on to us, uh, (laughs) is Mark 16 and 17. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. Now, who can say who a believer is better than Jesus? Now, today they make a believer everything else but that. But Jesus told us what a believer is. These signs shall accompany, shall accompany them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. Are you casting out demons? Start being a believer. Who did he say that to? He said that to the disciples. So that they would recognize real disciples when they saw them. (laughs) Mark 16 and 14. And afterward he was manifest unto the eleven themselves and they sat at meat and he uh, upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them that had seen him after he was risen so they were walking by sight right they well there's jesus not there oh jesus is not over there either <laughs> you know they were walking by sight and he said unto them go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation uh, well, we know that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, right? What you're baptized into the water of the Word of God, not the Word of religion. The Word of religion will not put to death your old man. It's the Word of God that puts to death your old man so you can walk as Jesus walked. So they didn't get to do that, did they? Once again, he was obviously talking to more than just the first disciples. He was speaking to us. Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieveth shall be condemned. Well, i got to tell you, churches are full of disbelievers. If you've paid any attention to me today, they're full of disbelievers. Come out from among them and be separate. They're daughters of the harlot. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. Again, Jesus is the only one that can tell you what a believer looks like. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. Oh, no. Oh, yes. (laughs) They shall speak. They will take up serpents. That's talking about those demons again. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Yeah, drink any deadly thing. Think about stuff they're putting in your water, what they're putting in your food. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about that. So we see that he taught them how to identify the people who really believed what the disciples said when they were passing on the commandments that Jesus gave unto them. 
Do you understand that we are not to receive anything but the commandments that Jesus gave unto his first disciples? The church has not kept the word of God. They have not held fast to the commands that were given to the first disciples. Luke 10 and 16 says, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that rejecteth you rejecteth me. So when you speak the word of God and they reject it, they're rejecting him. And he that rejecteth me rejecteth him that sent me. So, well, I tell you, um, we have rejected them. We have rejected their word, and we have rejected their commands, and now we see the trouble that's come of it. All these precious benefits have been forgotten or said passed away with the apostles. What silliness is that? The church has not bought forth any deliverance in the earth, as Isaiah twenty six eighteen says, and there has been a great falling away. Luke 10 and 17 says, And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. Well, they were happy to get this revelation, and a lot of people are going to be happy to get this revelation once again, if it's been hidden from them. Okay. Well, it's been right there all along. Get into your Bible and read it. Make sure that you're not wasting your time. Find out what a real disciple is before you get stuck in some dead church. They were just overjoyed to see that the demons had to obey them. Luke 10 and 18, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan fallen as lightning from heaven. Yeah, and that's what happened to him in Revelation 12 too. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. Notice, he talked about serpents and scorpions. The spirits are subject unto you. So we can see that when he talks about serpents and scorpions, he's talking about demon spirits. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He gave them this authority, and he commanded them to go out and give this authority to others. He commanded them to teach the disciples to observe or to hold fast to everything that he spoke to them. And that's what we're doing today. We have no authority to do anything else but to share with the disciples what the Lord has given us as benefits and our inheritance in Him. Praise be to God for that. You must act on your faith. A confirmation of a person's faith is when they are willing to suffer scorn, willing to suffer indignities from others because they believe the Word of God enough to speak it. The Bible says, All that's necessary is to believe with our heart and confess with our mouth in Romans 10 and 9. We'll look at that again. And Romans 10 and 8 says, But what saith it? 
the word is nigh thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. There's the solution. It's right there in your mouth. You're not very far from a healing or a deliverance or anything you need. And that's what Paul is telling you right here. In the previous text, he said, Romans 10 and 6, But the righteousness which is of faith saith thus, saith thus. Amen. Say not in thy heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, Who shall descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Hey, do you have to go to heaven or to get any of this? Didn't Jesus just say to you, uh, the word is nigh you, in your mouth and in your heart? So, does Christ have to come down to get you this? No. Uh, do you have to ask Him for this? Well, actually, no, you don't. It's already there written. It's written, and once you've written it, He means it. Okay. Romans 10 and 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Because if you shall confess with thy mouth, Jesus says, Lord, over whatever circumstance you're talking about, right? <clears throat> and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, because that's when you were raised from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. What is Jesus Lord of? What did Jesus do at the cross? What Jesus did at the cross was become Lord over all the curse, sin, and creation. Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus came unto them and spake unto them, saying, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And then he turned around and passed it on to them. So when Jesus walked the earth, he exercised this authority over the curse to set God's people free. Then he taught his disciples to do the same thing. How come we're missing this? Isaiah 61 and 1. Uh, which Jesus quoted, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. There's the good news. Uh, the really good news, not the one you're hearing in the churches. Good tidings unto the meek. You must be meek enough to receive from the Lord, right? He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Yes, many people are bound in so many ways. All curses and all demonic possessions and all such and such uh, um, diseases and so on and so forth. These are all bindings of the devil. But what we bind on earth is bound in heaven, right? Isaiah boldly proclaims that he would set the captives free Open the prison to those who are bound, delivering God's people from bondage to Satan and his religions, bondage to the curse and sin, and so on. And we see here that it's very, very simple. Salvation in any form, whether it's salvation of your spirit, soul, body, or circumstances, 
is with your heart. You believe the promises of the Word of God, and with your mouth you confess them. Romans 10 and 10 and 11. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You're accounted righteous when you believe God. Remember, it was the same with Abraham. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, if you want to see salvation in the physical realm, you have to believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be put to shame. So you can step out, right? Well, Lord, we ask for all of the brethren out there today that your mercy and your grace would be poured out upon them. We ask, Father, that your benefits would be in their heart and in their mind and coming out of their mouth and in their confession towards you, as you have said in Romans 10 and 10. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe your church and your preacher over and above what the Bible says, you are an idolater. And we pray that their good confession will be in the heart and the mouth of the saints and uh, to spread your wonderful good news and your benefits all over this world. We praise you for it, Father, and we thank you that this word is going into our hearts and creating the life of Christ in us. We thank you that his word and his seed, and that seed can only bring forth him, okay, will go forth and do what it's supposed to do. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we ask for your mighty, mighty blessings. And we've gone into a little bit of overtime, but that's okay. All right. God bless you, saints. Thank you so much. And um, Brother Michael is going to come and share, too. And we bless him and bless those that are listening. Amen. All right. God bless. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again this Great, wonderful day, this brand new year we have. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, I ask for your grace and your mercy today to get this message across that uh, is needed. Uh, a lot of people are out there have condemnation. Lord, we need to know what it is to be righteous by faith. And Lord, I thank you for helping me get it across to them, Lord. And I praise you and glorify you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, folks, that's what I want to talk about today, that we're righteous by faith. You know, knowledge is important because you have to have knowledge to bear fruit. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him, that called us by his own glory and virtue, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises. What's your knowledge, right? That through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped from the corruption that is in that world by lust. Folks, you know, it's by knowledge of God that we're able to manifest his divine nature and escape this world. But at the same time, the Bible imputes responsibility to us when we get knowledge, and the devil uses this in a lot of cases to condemn people. James chapter 4 and verse 17 says, To him therefore that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is imputed when there is knowledge of sin. You know, God's very merciful with our ignorance. So along with the knowledge that we need to bear fruit and to grow up in the Lord, there comes more responsibility, and the devil is able to use that instead of us using our faith to call the things that are not as though they were, as it says in Romans 4 and 17. The devil is able to use that to condemn some people because if you're condemned, you know, you you can't have any faith. And so it's a vicious cycle. So let's talk about that a little bit today. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 is very good on this, and I want to start back in verse 3. Romans 3 and 3. For what if some were without faith? Shall their want of faith make of none effect the faithfulness of God? Well, where does the gift of faith come from anyway? It comes from God, doesn't it? Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace have you been saved, saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God not of works that no man should glory. Verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's a gift of God. If we're without faith, where do we get it from? The gift of faith that we receive from God is the grace of our salvation. Now verse 4 says this, God forbid, yea, let God be found true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words. We're justified by faith, aren't we? But what if somebody is without faith? Does that mean that God's not able to save them? No. God's the one who gives faith in the first place. And you know, he can count righteousness to you because of your words of faith. There's a lot of people who say, I don't have enough faith. People think sometimes they don't have enough faith. But just remember this, the reconciliation that was accomplished at the cross the exchange that was accomplished at the cross. What happened there? In that exchange, we became Jesus Christ. His life was given to us, and our life was crucified on that cross. That's what it means. An exchange for his life, for our life. Now it's no longer us that live, it's Christ that lives in us. Galatians 2 and 20. Therefore, we now have Jesus' faith. And so the question that is asked in Romans 3 and 3, for what if some were without faith? Shall their want of faith make of none effect the faithfulness of God? You see, they're still not beyond God's grasp because God is the one who gives the gift of faith. He's also the one who works in us to willing to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. He tells us one thing that we can do. We can speak words of faith. And we can let our tongue be like David said in Psalm 45 and 1, the pen of a ready writer. We can write the word of God upon our heart 
and we can agree with God. We can let God be true and every man a liar. And we can agree with God. And you know what? God will justify us for that. Gifts that we receive from God generally become because we're justified. We're accounted righteous. And he says that they, Romans 3 and 4, bodies prevail when they come us into judgment. Let me read on down there to verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we before laid to the charge both of Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not so much as one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Now that's basically a, a picture of Jew or Greek that are not born from above. Everything that's not born from above, you're going to end up in that category right there. Verse 18, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. People think that born again is a one-time get-all-you-get experience, but that's not the way it is at all, folks. You get a born-again spirit, you get a new spirit from God, and then as you walk in obedience to that spirit and the word of God, your soul becomes born again. It's called in the scriptures, sanctification. Your soul, your nature is being renewed in the image of Jesus Christ. And it's a process. It don't happen overnight. And it's a sad thing that people will preach that you got all that you're ever going to get when you got saved. No, that ain't true. That's a lie. You got saved by faith and now you're continually walking after these benefits that the Lord has given to those who are saved by faith. Then he gives us the uh, recipe for success here. He says in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it speaks to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God. Well, what's that all about? You mean that God has to prove that we're sinners? Yes, he does. He has to prove to us that we're sinners, and that's the whole point behind the law. And that's to prove that if God gives you what he wants without giving you a new nature, then you're going to fall. And it'll condemn you, just like it says here, that every mouth may be stopped. No man will be able to justify himself before God because of the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God. You know, it's necessary that we first know that we are sinners, okay? And then uh, Romans eleven thirty two says, For God has shut up all unto disobedience, <clears throat> that he might have mercy upon all. How has he shut up all into disobedience? Because of the law. The law made every man disobedient. The law proved What we read here in Romans chapter 3 from 10 through 18, that every man is a sinner. We have to be proven to be sinners in order to know 
that we need mercy. And God says that he has shut up all under sin, that he might have mercy upon all. And his all there is talking about his elect, not all the world, because it don't ever work that way. But the truth is that we need to know that we are sinners. We need to know that that we are in need of God himself giving us the gift of salvation and the gift of his own works too. Because the problem is that the law proves that our works are inferior. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Well, why is that? Because the law, for instance, in Leviticus 5, in verse 17, And if anyone sin and do any of the things which the Lord hath commanded not to be done, though he knew it not. You see, nobody can claim that they have kept the law. That's the whole problem. Though he knew it not, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. He was a sinner whether he had knowledge of sin or not. But that's not the case in the New Testament. Obviously, in the New Testament, James 4, 17, to him, therefore, that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him is sin. But here, according to the law, you were held guilty to the written law, not the law written upon your heart or your mind, but the law that was written on the tablets. Leviticus 5 and 18 says this, and he shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock according to thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest, and the priest shall make atonement for him concerning the thing wherein he erred unwittingly and knew it not, he shall be forgiven. Not cleansed like the New Testament, just forgiven. 19. It is a trespass offering. He is certainly guilty before the Lord. So we've all broken God's law. And the great thing is, we've got a trespass offering that's a continuous one. We don't have to continue to sacrifice animals in order to have God's forgiveness and cleansing because we've got a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, praise God. Something that the law couldn't do. We have a lamb that gives us this born-again experience. Spirit, soul, and ultimately, body. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we know in Galatians chapter 5 that we're told, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. Yea, I testify again to every man, that receives circumcision, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And of course, what Paul's point was, is that no matter what part of the law you attempt to keep in order to feel justified before God, it won't do you a bit of good. And the reason is because you have to keep the whole law to be justified before God. So it made it impossible for a person to be justified. Well, as a matter of fact, chapter 3 and verse 10 says the same thing in Galatians chapter 3 and 10. For as many as are of the works of the law <clears throat> are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law 
to do them. Now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by faith. So anything that you do to seek to be justified before God will fail. Even in the New Testament, you can do things to seek to be justified before God, and it's going to fail. Because you're just using the New Testament as a law. You're not having a grace relationship with God. And so the people who gain knowledge and are immediately condemned, they're condemned by the devil because the devil doesn't want them to have faith. But they're condemned to separate them from their faith so that they will never have power to obey. And so what we need to do is realize that nobody has been able to keep all of the will of God that's written in this book. But we can accept that sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we can walk justified before God because of our faith. We're told that if you seek to be justified by works, then you're going to have to keep all of the works in order to be justified. And that ain't possible. Notice what he says in Romans 3 and 20. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Again, knowledge can bring condemnation. We're told in chapter 7 and verse 8 that apart from the law, sin is dead. And Paul said in verse 9, I was alive apart from the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What does that mean? Meaning he was now held responsible because he knew the will of God. Now God's got a solution for this. And we know the will of God, but we fail in many things. James said. So we have to avoid what the Bible calls willful disobedience because there is condemnation for willful disobedience. That's a premeditated, I'm going to do it, Lord, and I'll let you take the sacrifice and you can forgive me later. But I'm still going to do it. So that's a premeditated thing that we never get away with. You know, Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we sin willfully, After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. So we need that sacrifice. Willful disobedience robs us of the sacrifice. People say that it's all under the blood. No, it's not. Not willful disobedience. You have to pay for that yourself, and God gives you a whipping to prove it. He says, a certain fearful expectation of judgment. So what do we do about the knowledge received? Many of God's servants desire to serve him, desire to walk in his truth, and in such cases, God loves and God's for them, and God's going to help them, but they have to be careful because the devil also uses knowledge to bring condemnation. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 and 1. He uses it to bring condemnation to separate them from faith so that they cannot receive the benefits of God. There is knowledge of sin that we fail in and we fail to live up to our own knowledge of God's will. So the solution, of course, is we have to constantly remind ourselves that we're not justified by the works of law. We're not justified because we're able 
to keep all of God's law written in his word. Even if we use the New Testament that way, we're not able to justify ourselves because we have done and kept everything that we see there. So God's solution for every one of us, and we have to keep reminding each other of this because the devil's quick to drag people down. You forget about it for a while. You study the word. You gain knowledge. You feel like a failure sometimes, but you need to renew your mind constantly with the revelation of what grace is and how God is judging us and how he's not judging us. So let's read that part in Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God hath been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ unto all them that believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned. So you can't be justified by keeping all of God's word. And if you sin in one thing, you're a sinner. Unless you can accept by faith this God, this uh, gift of God. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. In other words, outside of keeping in all the law, being justified freely by his grace, we have to keep reminding ourselves of this because the devil is going to keep reminding us of our failures and he's he's doing it to try to drag you down. And if you've got a sickness, you get your eyes off the sickness, you get your eyes on the word of God, which says, by whose stripes you were healed. We were healed spiritually as well as physically. And we need to get our eyes on the promise. We're justified by keeping our eyes on the promise, and we're dragged down when we get our eyes on the problem. You see, the Lord has given us the solution. Now all we have to do is to accept it by faith. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now you have to remember, redemption means a release on payment of a ransom. We were held captive by the devil and by the curse, and the Lord paid the price to us to set us free. He's our sacrifice. He paid the price. We couldn't pay it. We couldn't be obedient enough to justify the law or the New Testament. We can't be obedient enough to be called holy any other way than this method right here, and that is being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. As you know, propitiation is a covering. In the Old Testament, and it it was hilasterion, and it was meaning an atonement, a covering for our sin. And that covering is because of our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He poured out his blood unto death. It was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, basically. The Lord gave his blood for our blood. And why would we need a blood sacrifice? Because our blood, which carried the sins of our parents, the nature of our parents, by which we pass on to our children, our blood is what makes us a sinner. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, Jesus Christ gave us his blood as an atonement. 
and we have it by faith. We accept it by faith. And that gives us propitiation. That gives us a covering. And it's a meantime thing. People don't understand. Some people think that this is all we need. We can live the rest of our life any way we want to live because we have a covering. No. Remember this. Willful disobedience has no sacrifice. And this covering is a meantime thing because there is two workings of the blood. There is a blood covering and there is a blood cleansing. The covering is a meantime thing until the cleansing comes. And the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that's God's will. Now, how do we get from here to there? That's where we need the blood covering. If we want any fellowship with God, if we want God's favor in all the things that he does for us, which is grace, if we want God's grace between here and there, then that's why we need this covering. And this covering is only going to be given to you because of your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus, that you now have his blood and not your blood. And that's the only reason this covering is given to you. You're justified by faith and not by your works. If you had to be good enough before you could get the gift of God, then you ain't got no hope. Because what you're dealing with right now is your nature. And you can't be better than what you are. Only God, who is Lord over all, and all flesh is submitted unto him, can make you what you are not. And it's kind of like pitching yourself, picking yourself up by your bootstraps. You can only do what you are. And thank God for the propitiation so that we can get between here and the cleansing. Once the cleansing has taken place, we don't have to deal with that particular part of the flesh because it's been cleansed. Romans 3.25, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to show his righteousness because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God. We always need that, don't we? We always need a passing over of the sins done aforetime. And the blood covering covers not only the sins that we have done in our past, but in the future it will have still cleansed us of the sins that we have done in our past which is the sins that we may be doing right now. The blood covers our ignorance. In many things, we may be contrary contrary to God that we don't know about. And we notice in Leviticus chapter 5 that even if you didn't know about it, according to the law, you're still guilty. So no man could be justified by the works of the law. You could be forgiven by the sacrifice, but you can't be justified by the works of the law because even in your ignorance, you have failed God somewhere. Do you ever hear people, and you have asked the question too, and I have too, what if I'm offending God somewhere and I don't know it? Is that the reason this particular curse is upon me? Because I have offended God somewhere and I don't know it? Well, if you don't know it, It's not a sin. God's not holding it against you. 
And I know some people even deny outward immorality as sin because they want to. That's the reason. That's because they want to. But they know better. Their conscience condemns them for this until it just finally shuts up and doesn't talk to them anymore. They have seared their conscience. So there are people that justify anything they're ignorant of. But we can't be ignorant, folks. We need to continually look for truth in order that we might bear fruit. Because as you know, the truth of God's word is what gives us his divine nature and the benefits to the entire kingdom. But our ignorance, which was not justified under the law, is now totally justified before God because the blood covering covers it. And so our ignorance, you'll never have to say, is God cursing me because of something that I didn't know. First of all, he's not impugning sin against you. He may bring you through some hard trials in order to reveal to you what's down inside like he did for Job. But Job wasn't receiving a cursing for any sin that he did. He was going through this fiery trial to reveal the self-righteousness that was in him so he could repent of it. When he saw it, then it became a sin and it needed to be repented of. Before he saw it, God called Job a righteous man. And so that's a lesson for us. Sins done aforetime. Second Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, Him who knew no sin he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And not only that, I'm going to back up a little bit and read a little bit more of this. Second Corinthians 5 and 18. But all things are of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not reckoning unto them their trespasses. And that's the way it is, because of our blood covering. You may be falling short in your faith, in your works, but justification, the blood covering, is applied through your faith. Don't let your failures or your falling short bring you into condemnation. Because you'll be separated from the blood covering and from justification. Not reckoning unto them their trespasses and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In other words, we're able to go and bring this word of reconciliation to others. He is not reckoning unto us our trespasses. He has given us a gift of passing over of the sins done aforetime. And Romans 3 and 26 says, For the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he might himself be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. This is God's gift to us. We are justified through faith in Jesus, not because we've obeyed everything, not because we've attained to what we know is right. We're justified before that time. Well, why are we justified before that we do the works of Christ? Because without justification, we have no entitlement to the benefits of Jesus Christ, the nature of Jesus Christ, the holiness of Jesus Christ. And faith gives us that. You see, we have to be justified before our actions are proven godly. And we're justified by faith. 
Now, if you walk by faith, you get the benefit of Jesus Christ, which he is that divine nature. Second Peter 1 and 3 says, Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and good godliness. We have to see that he has already granted this unto us. That's the faith that gives us the justification that we need in order to get his benefits. So as you are right now, if you're not walking in willful disobedience, you desire to serve God. You are grieved that you're not living up to the standards that you know are godly. God's on your side, folks. He loves you. He's not condemning you. The devil is because he wants to separate you from the blood covering. He wants to separate you from justification and he wants to separate you from the benefits of holiness that Jesus Christ gave to you freely. And so I think we have to teach on this more often than a lot of things because people lose sight of it so quickly. The devil reminds them of their failures. And one of the problems is we look in the mirror and we see the old man and all of his failures and his foolishness. But the Bible says if you do that, you're just going to be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Read James chapter 1. That's what it says. So instead, we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord in Second Corinthians 3 and 18. Because we don't live anymore. He lives in us. And that's how we are justified. That's the gospel in a nutshell right there. We behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So he is the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. Where then is the glory? That's one thing that this system that God created totally does away with. Any glory on our part because we're saved by grace and it's his mercy that reached down and gives us a gift of faith to turn to him to receive the grace that we need to walk in his presence. So, no glory is excluded by what manner of law? Of works. In other words, of works of the law. He's talking about, no, not any works of the law, but just through faith in Jesus Christ. Nay, but by law of faith, This is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets us free from the law of sin and death. The Old Testament was a law of sin and of death. And even today, if you're not under grace, you're under the law of sin and of death. Coming into grace is what separates you from that and gives you the benefits of the kingdom, the benefits of the propitiation, the covering. And the benefits of the justification, which means accounted righteous. We can all be accounted righteous as long as we don't walk in willful disobedience. We can be accounted righteous because we believe that Jesus Christ took away our sins. The Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Praise God. This is an awesome benefit that the Lord has given to us. And Colossians 1. We don't want to be separated from this awesome benefit. Verse 21. And you, being in time past alienated and enemies in your in your mind, in your evil works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and without blemish and unreprovable before him. 
if so be that ye have continued in the faith. The devil wants to do anything he can to separate you from the faith because as long as you're continuing in faith, God says that he's going to present you holy and without blemish and unreprovable before him because faith is accounted as righteousness. Just like it says in Galatians 3 and 6, faith is accounted as righteousness. Now you can't be walking in faith and willful disobedience because your heart will condemn you. And so verse 23, if so be that you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, the good news that Jesus bore your sin and bore your curse. And so back in our Romans text, we're told this, we're told that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yea, of Gentiles also. If so be that God is one, and he shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. We only have one way to God. There are people preaching a false gospel out there that the Jews have got their own covenant. Folks, there's only one covenant. There is no other name wherein we must be saved. Acts 4 and 12. Jesus Christ is it. No other. Because that's a false gospel. And it's catching on right now. Verse 31. Do we then make the law of none effect through faith? God forbid. Nay, we establish the law. So there's only one way that the law can be established, and that's through faith. We can't be good enough to keep it all. It can only be established through faith. And it's the only way we can be justified so that we can receive grace, so that we can keep the law. Grace is God working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are able to walk well-pleasing in his sight because our sins are covered and his grace gives us power to obey. And obedience is what the law points us to but gives us no power to attain to and that's why no one can be justified through the law. Romans 4 and 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather hath found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not toward God. If he was justified by works, it would have been by keeping the whole law. He couldn't have been justified before God, but many people brag because of what they have done, even if it is good works. They think that this gives them an edge with God. But if they forget that they are a failure, a total failure in keeping the will of God, that the only way they can be justified is through faith in Jesus Christ, then their bragging proves that they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand that the Lord can't accept any self-justification through any works. There is a gospel going out there today that you can't be justified before God unless you tithe. And so these people feel, okay, I'm on tithe today. That way I can be justified before God. That's just another false gospel. It's a lie that's a stench in God's nostrils. And it's not the word. If you go looking for it, you can't find it. The truth is, 
That's manipulation by preachers who want to make you support them, whether you have a willing heart or not. But God loves a cheerful giver, it says, and he wants it to come from your heart. So anybody that does that is dragging you under the law. Justification by works of the law, and God says that's a curse. It's a curse for the people that do it, and it's a curse for the people that believe it. So you need to repent of that and turn away from it and don't listen to those people again. It's just a manipulation. They want your money. Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not toward God. Folks, that's so true. We just saw in Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 that a man can be justified in his words by simply agreeing with God. Saying this, God, your word is true. I agree with that promise. That's mine. I accept your word is true. And of course, that is really a work of faith because you're saying by faith that you believe and accept that promise. Let God be true and every man a liar. And it's a way of being justified. It's a way of proving your faith. James 2 and 18 says, And I, by my works, will show thee my faith. And in Galatians 2, we're told in verse 16, Yet knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we believed on Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's like God is saying, look, we said it three times here. It needs to sink in. When God repeats something like that, he, he, he wants you to get a hold of it. Verse 17, but if while we sought to be justified in Christ, we ourselves also were found sinners. Is Christ a minister of sin? God forbid. Some people say we're just sinners saved by grace. And they don't understand what justified is. If you're a sinner, then you're not justified. Verse 18, for if I build up again those things which I destroyed, I prove myself a transgressor. For I through the law died unto the law that I might live unto God. And I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live. That's the sinner. He's dead. He's gone. We're justified because the old man was crucified with Christ and he doesn't live any longer. And that's why we're justified. But Christ living in me and that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You're living in the flesh, but you're trusting in God. You're not walking by sight in your failure and your foolishness, but you're trusting in God. You are claiming with God that you don't live anymore, but Christ lives in you. And he goes on to say in in verse 21, I do not make void the grace of God, for if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for naught. If you could be good enough to be acceptable with God, then Jesus died for nothing. 
And if you could keep all of the things that you believe God wants you to do, then Christ died for nothing. So we're told that Abraham was reckoned righteousness, and he's reckoned righteous apart from the law. And he says in Romans 4 and 4, Now to him that works, the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of debt. See, if you were able to do by your own strength everything that you think you need to do, then God would owe it to you. But it ain't going to happen. It would be the reward is not reckoned as a grace, but as a debt. We're never going to be justified. We've got no way to get from here to there. Evil cannot become righteousness. There has to be a change of nature that has to come from God. And it only comes because we're justified through faith. Verse 5, but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. Folks, that's our hope, that along this path of growing closer and closer to God, entering more and more into his godly nature, and having his godly nature enter more and more into us, along this path, There's no way to walk this path. There's no power to walk this path. This hill that's constantly going upward without justification through faith and the devil seeks very earnestly to separate you from that because if he can, then we'll live under condemnation and we'll have no faith. We'll have no justification. We'll have no power from God. And our path upward stops immediately. And so we have to be reminded of this so that we'll get back on the right path here. Abraham wasn't justified because he was able to please God in himself. He was justified because he believed God. Now, in the case that we're talking about in Romans chapter 4, that God could give him a seed, can you imagine? It didn't have nothing to do with what people call salvation nowadays. But we're justified when we call God true and every man a liar. When we agreed with God, it doesn't matter whether it has to do with salvation, but it has to do with us believing God in any trial that he sends our way. And Abraham, who was not able to bring forth fruit, a son, and Abraham and Sarah were not able, they were a picture of those under the law who could not please God. They were not able to bring forth the fruit. Romans 4.20, Yet looking into the promises of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith. And that's how we do it, folks. Giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And we trust that God is able to do in us Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is able to do in us what we cannot do any other way. So we put our faith in him as Savior, and he forgives our sins, even while we are in the midst of them. Now I'm going to read on for where we were in chapter 4 and verse 5, Romans 4 and 5. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. Now, here's our hope, that even while we're failing, God justifies the ungodly. 
even in the midst of our failure, he justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned for righteousness. Now, here's a guy God's calling righteous when he is failing God. That's the good news. So you out there who have more and more knowledge of God and the path of God and what pleases God and what it is to walk in the Spirit, don't let this drag you down. Instead, you're supposed to keep your eyes on the Lord and on the promises. It's Him in you that's going to bring to pass and be obedient to His Word. Verse 6, Even as David also pronounces blessings upon the man unto whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Glory be to God. Verse 9, is this blessing then pronounced upon the circumcision or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say to Abraham, his faith was reckoned for righteousness. How then was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? You see, was he reckoned righteous when the flesh wasn't cut off or when it was cut off? It was before it was cut off that he was reckoned as righteous. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was in uncircumcision. So the obedience came later. God justified him while he was in disobedience. And the obedience came as a sign of his faith. Meaning what? Meaning God gave him this gift of obedience through his faith. You got to hold on to your faith. And you don't walk by sight. And you don't look at yourself and don't look at your failures. And if you're in willful disobedience, repent. Because you can have no grace from God if you don't. For willful disobedience, you get nothing but judgment. You have no sacrifice either. But that wasn't Abraham's situation. He was failing in a type to bring forth fruit. And he had no ability within himself to bring that fruit forth. Neither did Sarah. So in his faith, which I might add, didn't come to fruition until the last year before Isaac was born. He was stumbling in his faith. And he only became steady within the last year when he was believing God to bring forth the promised seed, and God brought it forth. Many of you have lost, wasted a lot of time in unbelief, and what you need to do is keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on his promises. Don't be distracted by your failures and your foolishness, because we have all come out of it. Get your eyes on justification through faith in his blood. If his blood's yours, then you have his nature because it says for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now reconciliation is an exchange of his blood for your blood. You were crucified with Christ and now he lives in you. And if you keep your eye on that, he'll give you his faith. He'll give you his gift of obedience. Meanwhile, you ain't got no choice. If you want to walk with God, and walk in his favor, that's his grace, you're only going to be justified because you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Like Abraham, 
He looked unto the promise of God. He wavered not through unbelief. It's God who's the one that's going to bring this to pass. Not us. And we just keep our eyes on his promise. Lord, you know what you're dealing with here, and it's dirt. We're just the clay, and you're the master, and we see your promise. And we know that you promised us your divine nature, that we're to see that through your precious promises, we are to be partakers of your divine nature. And we even need grace from God to hold fast. We need to ask God to give us his grace so we can hold fast to his promises. Because Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, not of your works, that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for his good works. Our works won't get us anything. It's his works that are everything. And he's the one who plans to come and live in us and do his works. Praise be to God. It's a precious gift from heaven. And it's the only way that we can walk with him again. Between here and the cleansing, we need this grace to be able to walk with him. When this cleansing comes, it's coming constantly in our life. As we walk in the light, and of course he's cleansing away the old life, the old man. And bringing to life that new man. And that's what the washing of the water with the word does. But that doesn't happen without faith. So we have to hold fast the confession of our hope that it waver not. For he is faithful. That promise. Anytime we're not doing this, we're wasting time. We're not progressing, climbing the kingdom of God. So, folks, I hope this encouraged you a bit. And reminded you of something that you already knew but needed to be reminded of again. God bless you. Stay encouraged in the Lord. He's on your side. He loves you and he's going to bring it to pass. Glory to God. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you And when I face that darkest night What will be my guiding light? Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you O sacred heart, in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine O Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus 
Jesus, I trust in.